0: God, today we stand before your mercy. In the days of the Old Testament, in the days of the Ark of the Covenant, it was called the mercy seat. It was literally the place where your presence dwelled and you sat in authority over your people in a literal presence that's impossible for us to imagine. And your presence was so overwhelming, no one dared go in. Except at certain times and with certain preparations. But then Jesus became your presence, your physical presence on earth, so that we could know you in a personal way, without the fear, without the danger, and without the justifiable wrath for our willing resistance to you. And so through Jesus, we can come to the altar not to put sacrifices up there to make peace with you, but because of his sacrifice to simply give things to your care and trust that you have it. Even if we don't know what you're going to do with it, we're going to give it to you. We're going to put that burden on the altar, Lord. We're going to put the diagnosis on the altar. We're going to put... The, the latest news report about political and world events and so forth, we're going to put that on the altar. We know you're bigger than all of this. We know that your plan is far-reaching and that because of Jesus, we're invited to join you in the eternal outcomes. And so, God, we praise you this morning and thank you for your amazing love, which enables us to come into your throne room and receive your grace together we imagine our burdens being lifted and carried to the altar left there in a surrender that gives us peace that passes all understanding well god help us to live as those whose lives have been transformed because of your grace and Let us be people who, by releasing so much of ourselves to you, have made room for yourself, the Holy Spirit, to come in. Well, God, we invite your Holy Spirit to come into our hearts this day, this very moment. We invite your Holy Spirit to enter into our worship, Lord. We invite your Spirit to direct our words and our deeds for the rest of our lives. Well, God, help us then to live lives that honor and glorify you especially in our burdens because nothing bears more witness to the faith that Christ has made for us and in us through the Holy Spirit. Nothing bears witness in a more profound way than when those who don't trust you and don't believe you watch us endure those things that are difficult. We don't wish to have difficulty, Lord. We don't desire to suffer. But if we do, let us do so with a faith and a grace that indicates your glory, that points to our Savior, Jesus Christ, and that witnesses to the Holy Spirit within us. Well, God, there's so many things we could say right now, so many words that we could pray, and yet we simply take comfort in knowing that our Lord Jesus gave us a pattern for prayer and words that we could say that satisfy the need more completely than any of our imagining. And that's why together we delight in saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please turn in your pew Bible or your personal Bible to the Gospel of Matthew chapter three. Now, as we get ready to look at this story, I'll just pose a couple of questions to you. Have you ever wondered why the Son of God, the incarnate Son of God, needed to be baptized? That's what this story is about. It describes a little bit about John the Baptist in the first part of chapter 3. And then it describes Jesus' baptism. And it is something so significant that it appears in the three what are called synoptic gospels that is they are in some sort of synchronization with each other the three synoptic gospels are matthew mark and luke they carry a lot of the same stories or (laughs) fill gaps between them in the greater story and they all thought this was pretty important and it was probably important to the early church then and that means that it should probably be important to us so with that in mind, let's look at what happened, starting at verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. and Do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now remember that passage because we're going to come back to it next week as we talk about the temptations that Jesus experienced. But for now, let us consider his baptism. John the Baptist had been calling people out into the wilderness for quite some time to experience what we would call a baptism of repentance. That means that he was asking a reasonable question when he said to Jesus, now why would you ask me to baptize you? I mean, if anybody needs to repent to anybody, it would be me, John, to you, Jesus. And remember that they're cousins. They've known each other for a long time. And we also know from other places in scripture that Jesus had the highest regard for John the Baptist. And so, the question then becomes what was the purpose of Jesus' baptism if not for repentance? Because he had nothing to repent of. Scripture informs us, and you remember from our conversations about his birth, that he did not come into this world with the natural tendency to sin, as we would, as we all do. And we have every reason to believe that he didn't consciously sin against God. Remembering that sin is ultimately about our attitude towards God. And I, I like to say that as often as I do, because, because honestly, I hear so many people talking about kinds of sin as though there are degrees or there are some sins that are worse than others. And well, there's certainly certain behaviors that are more moral than others, I guess. But at the end of the day, when church people are talking about sin, we need to focus on how sin is a definition of our relationship with God. And in that regard, it doesn't really matter what kind of things you do and say as far as what is morally acceptable at the time. It is really a question of how you react to God's authority in your life. And the truth is we all ignore God's authority in our lives at times. It's just that some behavior becomes socially unacceptable and is clearly in defiance of passages in the scripture that we can read so that it's a clear indication of a lack of respect for God's authority. But we all have a problem with showing God the appropriate respect. And John the Baptist understood that. That's why he called people to repentance. And repentance is a word that should be thought of as turning in a new direction. You know, to say I'm sorry is all fine and well, isn't it? But what we really need to say when we're sorry is, is, and I'm not going to do this anymore. That's repentance. Repentance says, I'm moving in a certain direction that is causing pain or causing a problem, and I'm choosing to go in a different direction now. And this is what repentance really is. And so John the Baptist is calling the average sinner, that's you and me, and asking us to repent of our sin against God, our lack of respect for God's authority, and then to move in a new way. And if the truth be told, sometimes our new way still shows a lack of respect for God, but it's an informed decision now. (laughs) And that puts us at risk in some ways, and it gives us opportunity to continue to grow and change and improve, which is something that we Methodists like to call sanctification, just a big word that means I'm going to be a better servant of Christ today than I was yesterday, but hopefully not as good as I will be tomorrow. That's, That's sanctification in a nutshell. But then there's Jesus. What did Jesus come to do? Because he had nothing to repent of, and therefore, we have to assume that there was a different meaning to it. Because he said to John, hey, this is important because it fulfills all righteousness. Righteousness is a word used in scripture that means a right relationship with God. Outside of scripture, it can sometimes even have negative connotations. You've heard of people being self-righteous. By their own decision, they think they're just a little better than the other guy or something like that. That would be self-righteousness. But in the scripture, righteousness means having it right with God, meeting with God's approval. And so Jesus is saying to John the Baptist, we got to do this because it's something God approves of. It's something that meets with God's approval. It's something God expects. And who knows better than Jesus the Son what pleases God the Father. And so we can assume that there are a few reasons why he was baptized. We can conclude this pretty accurately really, not so much as an assumption, but a a sort of forensic extraction from scripture. We can understand that it was first a sign of his complete dedication to the Father. He told John so before they went through the deed. He said, we do this to please the Father. It's a fulfillment of all righteousness. And so he's saying, I'm that dedicated to my heavenly Father that I want to go through this because it's something that will please him. And this is so he can let the Father know, I'm ready. I'm ready to do this. That would make more sense to you if you'll think about his whole life as you know it, because you might remember that there were other times when Jesus was affirmed by God, like at the Mount of Transfiguration, for example, when Jesus went up on the mountain and he took his three closest friends and and God's glory appeared and Moses and Elijah were there. and, and, And for a brief moment, they were in the presence of God, long enough to hear God say, this is my son, listen to him. This is a moment of approval for Jesus from his father. And what it says to us is that Jesus not only received affirmation from God in his personal prayer, but God went out of his way to give public affirmation of Jesus on other occasions. These are the ones that are recorded you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is pleading with God that somehow this cup could pass away from him, that he wouldn't have to endure it. And yet at the end of the prayer, he says, nevertheless, Father, your will be done, not mine. And so there's this constant exchange between Jesus the Son and God the Father where it is understood that Jesus is dedicated to the Father's will. He's committed to doing what God needs to see him do, what God wants him to do. He's committed to the words he said to John that day. We must fulfill all righteousness. We must do what is right according to God. We must honor God. And so this baptism then is a clear statement by Jesus. Father, I'm ready. It was public because... You know, when we make public professions and public declarations, they don't ever really go away, especially not in this internet age, right? When you make a public declaration or, or a profession of something, it will stick with you. It will be in people's memory. And so Jesus has done this in a way that maybe all of heaven and hell witnesses. I am dedicated to the task. You'll find out next week that hell was watching too because the very next thing that happens to him is as he goes into the wilderness and is tested by none other than Satan. And so we understand that Jesus is demonstrating his great love for the Father and that he's going to follow the Father's will and obey the Father and abide in the Father all the way through to the end. That's his plan. That's his statement of faith. And for that, the Lord sends a sign from heaven right in front of everybody, but mainly seen by Jesus and John that says, this is my son and I am well pleased. It served as secondly, an announcement of Jesus' intention to begin his earthly mission. He's stating plainly that he has now pulled away from his relatively obscure existence and his relatively familial existence. That is to say that as we've described him up to this point, he's been Mary and Joseph's kid and he's been a unique person to say the least and he's known for his special qualities and his special nature. But up to this point, nobody really knows what's going to come of it. Maybe Mary has a hint. She's after all received plain declaration from the angel of God, the angel Gabriel, but still, until this day, nobody's quite sure that he's getting ready to do a particular thing. That's what mission really means, and we'll talk about that more in a second, but, but he begins his mission with this declaration. His baptism marks the beginning of his three years or so of very specific teaching, teaching, and activity that will culminate in our salvation on the cross of Calvary. Then the third reason probably the easiest for us to understand, I guess, would be that it becomes a testimony to the rest of us. Now... Having said that, I understand there are lots of differing opinions about the nature of baptism. I've even heard some pretty funny stories, you know, from Southern comedians like Jerry Clower about baptism. If you don't know who that is, I advise you to look him up. You'll have a whole afternoon of laughing, belly laughing. But anyway, baptism is clearly something Jesus intends for us to do. He intends for us to follow his lead. And in this respect, we call it a sacrament. It's why, like for example, in in United Methodist tradition, we just have two sacraments, baptism and Holy Communion. And our basis for making them sacraments, the word sacrament is just a variation of the word sacred, so it's really important, is because Jesus did it. And he seems to plainly state that we should too. So we do baptism in that spirit. But understand that baptism isn't as essential as a profession of faith. Now, this is a difficult thing to talk about, especially when our real purpose is to understand Jesus' baptism. But but just know this, that, that the thief on the cross who professed faith in Jesus was offered paradise and salvation instantly. There's no water baptism involved. He's saved. So the water baptism is not the essential thing, but it is something Jesus wants us to do, which is why we imitate it, why many of us here have been baptized. Jesus has been baptized and in the same way, he has called us later in scripture, in Matthew chapter 28 specifically, to go into the world and baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So baptism is Both a literal figure of a literal and figurative thing. It's something we do that is literally true. We put water on people and we put people into the water and we say, Now go into the water, unclean, and come clean from the water, meaning having repented of your sin and being washed of your sin by the blood of Jesus. It's all very figurative and literal at the same time. We have the capacity to do immersion baptisms here i've prayed for b i listen i've told you so many times how much i love being your pastor here at this church one thing i've always wanted in any church i've ever served is one of them things over there <laughs> this you can't see it but right under that wood there is a baptismal pool where you can be immersed in the water understand that you don't have to be immersed in the water for it to be a real baptism you can have the water sprinkled over your head you can have it poured over your head but the water's not the thing. That's the real point I'm trying to make. I will find disagreement in the community of Christians, especially among the clergy, on this discussion. But for now, what I want you to see is, is that Jesus says it pleases the Father for us to correct our sinful desires by repenting of them and then submitting ourselves to something that is like a death and then invites a new life. Baptism by immersion is one reason, one reason I like it so much is because there's nothing that makes that more vividly clear in your life than when Pastor Dan shoves you under the water and then eventually gets you back out again. <laughs> Just kidding. I haven't drowned anybody yet. There's been a few I thought, no, no, I'm kidding. Anybody who wants to undergo baptism, I would be happy to accommodate you. And there will be opportunities coming up very soon as we go through confirmation and so forth. And as long as I'm on the topic, if you've already been baptized with water, maybe as a child or as an infant or whatever, you can still experience it and we'll refer to it as an affirmation or reaffirmation of your baptism. I've had the privilege of re- reaffirming people's baptisms in the Jordan River in Israel. So, it's not something you can't do again. It's just that we receive baptism or the invitation of repentance and rebirth in Christ once. That we do once, but we can we can recommit ourselves on many occasions in a way we see Jesus doing that. At each of these affirmations that I mentioned, Jesus is more Committed than ever to the mission. So I want to talk about the mission for a second. When we use the word mission in church, it usually sounds like we're talking about people like Mickey Sager who came and talked to you a couple of weeks ago. Because they go to foreign places and they reach out in the name of Christ. And and sometimes it's about helping the poor or the needy in your community. And, And a lot of times it sounds like another opportunity to give money. Even a second mile gift. But mission, as far as the Bible is concerned, and in particular in Jesus's case, and and I hope in our case, is by definition, a important assignment that's carried out for political, religious, or commercial purposes, typically involving travel. That's what the Oxford Dictionary says. In other words, a mission is an assignment. It has specific goals for you to fulfill. And when you agree to the mission, remember Mission Impossible, I know there's been some movies and I haven't seen too many of those, but you remember how the, the tape would always, right before it's self-destructed, it would say your mission, should you choose to accept it is, and then you know, the tape would self-destruct. So in the same way, we receive a mission that God's put upon our heart. That's why, that's why the church is being driven by a vision, but more importantly, the specific mission within the vision is to be disciples of Jesus Christ that to be utterly committed to following Christ and living as he lives and then to seek others who would join us in that journey of faith so it's a specific mission and this this is what Jesus was was announcing at his baptism I am ready to fulfill the mission and what was the mission well Jesus saw his mission by his own statement as seeking and saving the lost. His mission was to save people from their sin. It was as plainly stated as that. He said, I came to save the lost. Now, there are a couple of different kinds of lost, aren't there? You know, I've never been lost in my life, right, man? We've never been lost. We've occasionally had difficulty finding the right way to get where we're going, but we've never been lost. I mean, if lost means I don't know where I am and I don't know where I'm going, then no man in this room has ever been lost. Uh, Okay. Listening to your murmurs and wondering how much affirmation that gets. But in all seriousness, there are people who are lost and they don't know it. There are people in this Bible sense, especially, who are lost and they know it, but they don't know where to go next. I mean, they literally need someone to say, come this way. I remember a pilot friend of mine telling me he was in a small plane in Alaska and he was... He was in a cloud bank and he was disoriented for a moment, which is something that pilots dread, you know, because that spatial disorientation, man, that means you don't know which way is up or down or sideways. And it's worse when you're flying at about 5,000 feet, let's say, in a mountain pass, and you know there's rocks on either side of wherever you're going. And I remember this man telling me about the terror in that moment. And he prayed, and then he heard a voice he swore came over the radio, and all it said was, descend immediately 500 feet, something like that. And so he did. He listened to the voice and he descended and and, and suddenly he's in the clear and he can see where he is and where he's going. So when you're lost like that, that's what it takes, a voice that says, go this way. And that seems to be what Jesus is saying to the vast majority of us. And then, of course, there are those who are lost like us arrogant men who say, I'm not lost, I've just... I'm just not sure which way I want to go yet. And that would be like the Pharisees, and that would be like the, the religious leaders. They, they didn't think they were lost. They didn't know how lost they were. Jesus came to seek the lost, and frankly, the only lost that seemed to listen to him are the ones who know they're lost. It takes a lot of humility, you know. So. The good news is, is you're lost, and I know the way for you to get out of this mess you're in called sin. And this is what Jesus set out to do on that day. And he invites you to listen to his voice, to hear what he's saying. He invites you to join him. That's what we call discipleship. And the truth is, is we can learn from his example how to live our lives. Understand that if you will commit yourself to repentance, moving in a new way, Repent of your willful desire to do your own thing and invite Jesus to endorse that. Repent of your desire to to make God's will instead of following God's will. As we like to say in our mission and ministry around here, you know, look for where God's at work and go join him there. Don't don't tell God this is what you're going to do and wait for him to provision it, you know. And we all have to repent of that in our lives. And then when we do, we have to understand that it's always going to be followed by at least a spiritual baptism, where we're going to say, I'm going to die to self today. I'm going to die to my own desires today. And then I want to be born again into your will and the fellowship with you through the Holy Spirit. But... I'll close with this little example of what that might be like for you. There's a story that I read recently about when Saint Patrick, guy we're going to celebrate in a month or so, when Saint Patrick baptized, uh, I'm trying to find the guy's name here, King Angus. He baptized King Angus in the fifth century. And while he was baptizing King Angus, he was leaning on his miter. You know, that's what the bishops would carry, that big curly pole or something. He's leaning on his miter, which just happened to be on King Angus's foot. And he's leaning on that while he's baptizing King Angus. And then when he gets him all done, see, Patrick looks down and he sees that, in some ways, King Angus is dripping with water, but his foot is dripping with blood. And he says, oh my gosh, my Lord, I'm sorry, King so-and-so. King Angus, I I regret this. I really am sorry that this happened to you. And and then he finally looks at the king and he says, why didn't you say something? And the king says, I thought it was part of the ceremony. Actually, it should be. Might not be a bad idea to recognize that when you commit yourself to Christ, even if it's a recommitment, there will be suffering. You can be sure of that, and that's what we'll talk about next week. But you can be sure that a commitment to Christ will involve pain. Sometimes it's just the pain of letting go of things. Sometimes it's the pain that comes directly from Satan because you're about to embark on God's will and purpose in your life, and Satan would prefer that you do nothing. So with that in mind, let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for speaking to us plainly today through your experience, through your faithfulness. Lord Jesus, help us now to commit ourselves to you in a new and profound way, affirming your Holy Spirit's leadership in our lives and guiding all our words and deeds to be more of a testimony to you every day, we pray. Amen.